Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. It tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're just out here stacking packs. All right, guys. Episode four, Stacking Pennies, coming right up. A lot of cool guests. We got our previous winner, William Byron, joining the show. Got my buddy, filling in crew chief, Steve Latart. He rambles on for about half an hour about some cool stuff, so stay tuned for that. Got my buddy, Jonathan Merriman, a.k.a. Rolling Thunder. Welcome back to the show. How you doing? I'm good. How you doing? Good, man. I, and I don't even want to beat around the bush anymore. I don't, because there is something pressing that everybody has an opinion on. We could talk about racing. We can talk about mile and a half. So we can talk about how great Miami is. But everybody wants to talk about is Jimmy Johnson's IndyCar cut fire suit legs. I've had it with that. Can't stand it. What don't you like about it? He caved, man. He's supposed to bring the culture with him, not forget about it. He forgot about the boot cuts. Forgot he, he forgot where he came from. That's what I'm so mad about. He just forgot where he came from. Forgot where he came from. So for me, this is, uh, you know, it's one of those things where if you look at two pictures side by side and they're a little bit different, but they kind of look like the same picture. I honestly have zero opinion on this, and I may be the only person on the Internet who looks at it and is like, hmm, looks the same to me. <laughs> well, I would rather drag somebody else who is polarizing as on this topic as I am because I'm fired up. Fired up. I look. I understand it, and look. I think it's. Uh, I I get tickled sometimes at at what what people decide to to get irritated about. For me, I'm more of a I'm more of a function over form person anyway. So if it works better for you, I don't care if it's ugly. All right. Let me that. let me let me give some context to the function if you want to bring that up. So they say that since you're laying flat in the Indy cars, essentially that the boot cut you can't have so. I guess the thing in question for people that are listening who may not know what we're talking about, there are two different styles of fire suit hem or leg cuts. There is like a boot cut, like NASCAR, quote-unquote NASCAR style. Then there's the IndyCar, right? You've seen it. They tuck it into the legs. Then you get a little cup of wine. They bring you a platter of cheese, and then you go to the racetrack. The skinny jean style is basically Jimmy Johnson's turned into Jimmy Jean Girard from Talladega Nights. He, he looks like Jean Girard. That's, where, that's really I thought. That's where those fire suits originated from, but they, they weren't. So when they're laying in the car, in the Indy cars, they say that they want, you want to be on the back of the, the boots rather than the fire suit being on them. Um, so I will give you slight nod to the function, but beyond that, looks department, no good. Jimmy, you forgot about us, pal. Good luck there. I'm excited to see how he does in that Carvana Chip Ganassi ride. Um, they, say, they say he's got a little getting up to speed to do, though. I don't know if you've heard anything about Jimmy Johnson's IndyCar endeavors. You know, Jimmy's coming from 20 years in a heavy stock car, and, and say what you will, and, and, you know, maybe the comparisons aren't fair, but it's the same thing when Danica came over from open wheel and started racing in NASCAR. You know, the learning curve is very steep. Uh, you know, she wasn't brought up in it, so the success wasn't there. And, look, Jimmy's got a lot of learning to do too, but, you know, maybe Jimmy will have a little bit more success simply because of the the caliber of talent he is. You don't win seven championships and 83, 84 races in NASCAR without being able to, to learn on the fly. So we'll have to see. Let me tell you see, something. Uh, what he does. Let me, let me tell you something, Rolling Thunder. Them guys on the IndyCar side are no slouches, and those guys have been running uh, open wheel, 
Indy cars or uh, Skip Barbers or all the feeder series in Europe, like the Alexander Rossi's, the the Ryan Hunter Rays, all them guys like uh, Will Power, those guys are elite talents, especially now it's honed in for those particular cars. So you ever heard it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks? So Jimmy Johnson is trying to trying to he's an old dog trying to learn some new tricks. So I hope that goes well for him. I'm going to be certainly watching every single IndyCar race uh, that there's going to be. Uh, did you did you hear that, Merriman? Because that is my stomach rumbling. Because I haven't eaten anything besides a banana, some almond butter, and about forty eight bites of a built bar. Because some built bar guys came into town this weekend. We shot some new uh, some new social media content. So be on the lookout for that. Because they're gonna be on my car this weekend. I'm excited about. Sure. It. Are you afraid to eat anything else? You you don't have a food taster. Are you afraid the people from Dawsonville are gonna rot up and poison your food still? Well, no, no. I would love to eat. And I usually I eat Chipotle five or six days out of the week, but man, I've been going so so fast everywhere this today. I was over at the Cup Shop shooting some stuff, making TV magic. Went over to Charlotte Motor Speedway, did some stuff there, made some more TV magic. Had to come straight here, jump out with my buddy Latart, and now here I am, hungry, and got a half a cup of coffee in me, so I'm amped up, and a little bit of headache. But who knows where the show's going to go? It's going to be crazy. Well, as long as you're not, as uh, long as you're not hangry, uh, I, th- I think we're good. But speaking of angry, how about uh, Truex and Denny? Uh, Truex a little peeved. I saw, I saw a tweet about that. Now, whenever, anytime I see a tweet that has anything to do with uh, Martin Truex getting mad, I kind of like breeze by it because it's almost like the boy who cried wolf because he cries wolf and gets mad about everybody. What's he mad about this time? Well, Denny, Denny pinched him pretty good on the racetrack, ended up costing him a couple of positions. William Byron went on to win the stage, uh, kept kept Joe Gibbs racing from from winning the stage there. I mean, I, I, I would be pretty irritated too. I mean, you can't dump your teammate. Um, but, I mean, it was – I think Denny got tight off of uh, off of four and slid up the racetrack and really backed that high line up. And, you, you, know. you know what I think is, is more entertaining than – a teammate getting mad at a teammate, is one of our stack of pennies teammates, Chuck Push, was hanging out with Mr. Worldwide this weekend in Miami. What were you doing down there, sir? Uh, down in Miami, well, we were uh, working on a uh, feature or docu-follow follow doc yeah. on the new track house team uh, that uh, Mr. Worldwide Pitbull is, you know, part owner of with him and Justin Marks. And on Monday after the race, we went over to uh, the Slam School in downtown Miami to give a tour to a couple of guys on the race team. They also brought the hauler over and the 99 car. They had sort of a wrap on the car that had the slam logo for the school on there. All the kids came out and took a look at the car. Daniel did a burnout. Not really a burnout. It was just sort of like he Hang on, hang on. Don't move any further. I saw a video of that burnout, and they didn't take the chalk out of the left front tire. He runs it over, and then he moves up, and then he shoots that damn rubber chalk out like 80 miles an hour. Yeah, did you yeah. See, did you see where the number was on the quarter panel, Corey? Uh, I, I I scrolled right past it. Didn't want to see it. Made me sick to my stomach seeing that number on the rear quarter panel. I'll I'll argue with you on that. All I right. think it looks cool. Uh, what basis do you think it looks cool? I just think it looks cool. I don't know. You know who the first like and last racing series to try that was? ASA. Do you know how they're doing right now? They're not. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it had anything to do with the numbers. Not probably not a bad argument, but I'm blaming it on the number placement. 
I will give NASCAR this. I will allow them to move it back slightly, maybe a little bit smaller, and up a little bit. That is it. I'll give you the door. Do not move it to the quarter panel. We are not V8 supercars. We are not an ASA car. The brand for the team and the driver essentially is the number. Uh, yeah, I like it, though. It reminds me a little bit of, like, sprint cars, you know, when they, they put the numbers on the tank in the back. That's, We're that's not sprint kinda... cars, Merriman. Or well, NASCAR. Sprint cars, obviously it's not, but I don't know. I think you can make it work. I think you can make it look cool, but, you know. I is the brand the number, though? Yes. The br- oh. Is the brand the number? Oh, good good point to bring up. Let's debate. Because you- is, it the brand, is the brand the number, or is it, it depends the, on the number sponsor or the paint scheme? Depends on the number. What's Jimmy Johnson? What's Jimmy Johnson? 3, 21, 48. Yes, the brand is the number. Okay. So what's Jimmy Johnson? Lowe's. No. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you He's, think. I would associate that in, in his early part of his career, I would associate that Lowe's paint scheme, the blue, the gray, and the, 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 the sort of neon non number. Okay. But. I associated Jimmy Johnson with Lowe's. What about yeah, Cobalt? Same man? way Dale, Dale Jr.'s. Cobalt's eight. a Lowe's brand. Cobalt is no a Lowe's kidding. brand. I, no shit. That's why I brought it up. But is Will, what, I mean, is William Byron not 24? Or is he Exalta? Or is he Liberty? What is he? You could argue that it has shifted over time because originally, like back in the day, it was numbers. It was uh, Ned Jarrett and the 11. It was uh, the 43 of Richard Petty. Yep. But. I think when you hit the 80s and the 90s, Earnhardt, yes, the three, but also GM Goodwrench. Byron, over time, when he wins more, will become 24. But right now, in my mind anyways, I mean, I grew up peak Gordon era. So right now, 24 Jeff Gordon immediately pops well, in my head. I think that that is a multi-layered question because back in the day, to Chuck's point, in the 70s and 80s, the brand, the, the paint schemes were the same all year long. The STP 43, the Pure Later 21 with, uh, with David Pearson. Like, you had the same number, the same guy, the same colors all year, and sometimes for half a, half a decade, right? So when you have a different paint scheme every week, because uh, that's, that's just what it costs anymore, it's hard to really tie the brand all together. But I would argue that the number seven this year is equally – of a brand is Corey LaJoy is. Is that not, well, that that would, not right? That would be my – that was going to be my question to you is how do you associate your brand? Is your brand Corey LaJoy or is it a number? My brand it, is stacking pennies. There you go. It is. Yeah. But, you know, when you've got the iconic guys, yeah, the number can be their brand. But guys that are hustling and moving around from team to team, you're not always going to take that number with you. Not necessarily. And I think it really just depends on how tight that you want to brand yourself, right? Like you look at Joey – Joey is to 22. Now, nobody remembers he got a couple wins in that 20 car, right? And he was the guy who who took Tony Stewart's spot. And I don't think of Joey Logano as Pennzoil. I think of Joey Logano as 22. So that's where my point's coming from. And I would say this, that all of that is to say that it can evolve over time. So maybe, maybe the number could shift around on the car. We're going to talk to our guy, William Byron, see if he wants to be the Mr. 24 or... Jeff Gordon's replacement, or Mr. Exalta, or maybe he just wants to be Ryan Blaney's sister's boyfriend. Let's find out from him. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. 
Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I am pumped up to welcome the latest winner in the Cup Series, Mr. William Byron, driver of the 24, Exalta, Chevy Camaro. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Man, you got to be pumped up. Early in the season, you already punched your ticket to the playoffs with new crew chief, Rudy Fugel. I'm sure that uh, you read you read some Twitter comments and wondering why you pulled a guy up from the truck series and people might not think that he was capable of doing it. But you know, because you've worked with him in the past, why was Rudy Fugel your guy going in 21? Yeah, I mean, first, I mean, yeah, there was some pressure this year to to be right, I think, you know, and try to try to pick the right guy. But, um, you know, Chad – Chad really gave me a lot of a lot of free reign to, to go after uh, the person I wanted, and uh, Rudy was that guy. And I feel like, you know, it's just um, he's very technical. Uh, obviously, has a lot of skills as as an engineer. You know, he's got an engineering background, but but um, you know, which you got to have. I feel like in this sport, but I I think the biggest thing is the communication with us. You know, he can he can listen to what I say about the race car and and make the right the right direction adjustments. Um, you know, I feel like. Even even on Sunday, we were able to make progress throughout the race and not not stall out. So or even go the other way, the wrong way. So those things are key. And you know, anytime you have that much success with somebody, granted it's the truck series, but you know, it's wins or wins. It's hard to hard to win in anything. So um, I felt like I had the right guy in, in him, and uh, he's he's pretty awesome to work with for sure. And you're almost a veteran in this thing. You could almost teach Rudy the ropes, right? And and you're you're barely old enough to drink here, let alone, uh, you know, win a multiple races in the cup series. I think that's really neat. And for me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a couple years older than you, but man, watching you from the K&N series, be successful, win a championship there on the way to trucks and Xfinity, like you have won at every level and been dominant. And then you get to the cup series and it was a struggle for the first year and a half. What are some, what are some things that rookie William, William Byron is different from the way you are right now? Oh man, I, I think I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure you learned some of the similar things. I don't take anything, anything for granted now. Um, you know, when it comes to racing, you know, I was, I was very naive coming up through the ranks of, of all the things that went right for me. Um, you know, in terms of being able to win races, obviously I had, I had good equipment, but a lot of people or, or most people do and, and they have chances at it. But it, for me, I didn't take for, I took for granted all the opportunities to win races and, and um, how the cautions fell and how all these things worked out. So I think for me, the cup series is the most competitive series. And, you know, I feel like that I've, I've seen, you know, in the world and it just is, is tough to get your hands around what the car needs, um, you know, how to execute pit road, how to execute the restarts, you know, all those things. So um, definitely made my fair share of mistakes and, um, you know, and I, now I don't take any of that stuff for granted. I feel like something I, and more and more aware of the older I get, just more experienced in the Cup Series and life in general, is how much, from besides the physical, actual act of driving the race car, how much mental preparation is involved in being like, uh, I guess even you know a pit crew guy that we have Brian Flores on breakdown pit road stuff, but 
there's so much mental preparation that I didn't even realize uh, behind the scenes that I could have taken way more serious. And it seems like, man, your maturation has has been exponential just because you've only been trial by fire. So is there is there particular things besides working out because everybody works out, but are there things on the mental side that you do to kind of catch up or keep yourself pepped up when things are things are going tough yeah i mean i think confidence is the biggest the hardest thing in the cup series to keep it's kind of that that sacred thing um because everyone has confidence you know getting up through the ranks because they the people they're racing against are are frankly a lot you know there's a lot of gap between guys whereas i feel like the the cup series there's from one to 30 there's there's very small uh differences so but those small differences make up a big amount sometimes when you're racing at certain tracks. So I, I think that's one thing that Rudy's brought over is kind of re instilling in me some of the things that I was good at practice preparations, big, you know, watching the right tapes and stuff. I feel like though, you can get a little too involved in S and T and some stuff like that. It's very easy to go down that rabbit hole. So, um, you know, it's a tough balance. I mean, I think it's that way in any sport, but especially NASCAR when you got all that data and stuff to look at. For sure, and and everybody knows that you st- essentially started your career on iRacing, racing, and you've kind of gotten the labeled as the iRacing racing guy, right? You're you won a ton of races since you were a little kid. Yeah. Now, and and i racing continues to to upgrade their software, and, and man, the track maps and the car designs are unbelievable, right? And it, it is as good as you can make something stationary feel real as you can possibly get. What are some things that you take? Because I'm assuming you're on it about every week. Uh, what are some things that you're trying to, you know, maybe just get your brain up to the speed or some visual markers when we go to these new tracks? Yeah, I think it's like for Homestead, I didn't do much because, you know, let's be honest, you so it's not not really the same. Um, but I feel like there there's places that I use it a lot, you know, and, and places that a little bit less. So, you know, we've got, got the Chevy Sim as well that, that is a, a big tool for us. It's got a little bit closer setups and stuff like that. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, my iRacing team that I have in the esports side is, uh, you know, does a great job. They kind of, they, they allow me to come in sometimes and just plug myself in with their setups, which sometimes can teach me, you know, some of the, some of the things that make speed at certain tracks, I guess. So that's always cool. Um, so I, I use it sparingly and, um, I just enjoy it in general. I, I'd rather be racing during the week and, you know, race, whether it's a computer, it still is kind of fun to to race against people and do restarts and stuff. That's right. So every guest we have on here, we do a would you rather. A couple questions. So buckle up. It gets a little crazy. First question. All right. Would you rather be known as Slick Willie the iRacing guy or William Byron, the guy who replaced Chase Elliott, who replaced Jeff Gordon? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I mean, I got to stay true to my roots. I got I don't mind being the iRacing guy. I like iRacing. Oh, that's cool. Slick Willie, the iRacing guy. Number two, would you rather race the iRacing races with an Xbox controller or the arrows on a keyboard? Oh, man. Xbox controller. Think so? All right. We'll go with the Xbox controller. There's probably a little more feedback in that. Yeah, there's feedback. All right. Next question. Think carefully before you answer this, okay? Okay. To keep your girlfriend... You've got to go beat one of these two guys with sock and boppers, Ryan Blaney or Dave Blaney. Oh my God! <laughs> um, so I, what? I got to go beat him up? Just no, just knock him over. You know? Oh, knock. Okay. Show him your dominance. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's a really. <laughs> I don't know, Dave. I guess I feel like he'd get over it. 
Okay, that's fair. And you don't have to race Dave Blaney wheel to wheel every week. Uh, that's a very thoughtful answer from our Miami NASCAR winner, William Byron. I appreciate you jump on the show, man, stacking pennies. Uh, I'll see you this weekend. Where are we going? Vegas. So good Vegas. luck to you. You're in the playoffs, so try some stuff uh, for that Vegas race in the playoffs, man. I'll see you and uh, talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Thanks, Corey. Appreciate, appreciate it. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Good friend of mine joining the podcast this week, the interim crew chief for the number seven Chevy Camaro, Mr. Steve Latart. Thanks for jumping on with us. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Interim. I like that. One week. That was my deal. It now, was fun. It was a good time, though. It, it, it was. It was short-lived, unfortunately. We can get into that here in a couple minutes. Uh, last week, it was a little the breaking news. Beep, 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 beep. They had the, the NASCAR world buzzing. Uh, my crew chief, Ryan Sparks, went down with uh, COVID protocols. Actually, my... Uh, number one engineer, my engine tuner, and several others. So Spire was shorthanded. And you said, you know what? I'm going to choose the radio headset this week. And I'm just, I'm not – the back's a little tight. Can't swing the sticks this weekend. I'm going to come down to Miami home, Homestead, Miami Speedway. How did you get – who peer pressured you enough to come sit on the box this weekend? All right. So I have to give all the credit to Mrs. Latart. So uh, as everybody's read, I, you know, consult with Spire, uh, kind of a competition advisor. So part of this COVID protocol, when they were in a bad way competition wise, I was trying to put all the pieces to the puzzle to keep teams together and cars on the racetrack. And I was sitting here in, in my office where I'm sitting now working on it. And finally, Mrs. Latart wandered in and she kind of had that look and said, man, what's going on? You've had a busy day and gave her the, the spiel. And she looked at me a little dumbfounded and said, and I quote, well, why don't you just go do it? And I was like, well, I, you know, I haven't done it for a long time. She goes, well, you, you, you'll be fine. And I was like, well, all right. So I called the, the bosses at NBC just to run it by them. They're my boss. I love being in the booth. I want to make sure they thought it would be a good idea. I didn't want to upset anybody. They were super supportive. Um, they, much like everybody in the world, have been affected with COVID. And they said, hey, if we can help a team out, it'd be good for you. Uh, my big boss basically was like, yeah, yeah, let's see if you can still do it. Let's knock the rust <laughs> off, right? And um and that was it. That's how the ball got rolling. Well, you reminded me that it was been, it's was it been over 200 races, which was longer than my cup career expanded since you sat in the box last. Were you nervous about anything going down there this weekend? Uh, you know, I wasn't nervous. Um, I had the confidence. I, you know, I, I, I would be nervous if I was away from the sport, but I've worked really hard to be as prepared in the booth. And I've always said, listen, there's no way I can study enough to go in and set one of these things up anymore. The cars move too fast. But I feel like I could sit on the box and call strategy. Now, I always used to say that, you know, kind of defending my analysis. I didn't know it was going to be put to the test. Now, I will say there was a few nerves, not for the race, 
Uh, but Ryan Sparks and you guys, you, you kind of gave me this opportunity to do it. And I just wanted to execute. I just didn't want to be part of the story. Didn't want to make any mistakes. I had old Sparks on the, on the chat there talking to him. And, um, but how about this? This one will get you. When the first stage finished, that was the first ever stage I had seen from on top of the pit box, not from the broadcast booth. And that's something. And that's a uh, Buffalo Wild Wings trivia moment for you, <laughs> what, that, what, <laughs> what, what that was. But, uh, and you just touched on it. I want to bring that up because anytime uh, a car rolls through three times and a crew member gets uh, pushed out of the, the garage or a crew chief suspended for a lug nut violation or something, they're always plugged in and they're able to continue to have their hand uh, on the race and pit strategy almost live time. So what does that look like for somebody that doesn't really know how somebody at home can be connected on the pit box? So I, I am a, um, I'm a bad casual race fan watcher. So even when I'm watching a race from home, uh, I'm using my NASCAR app so I can listen to whatever driver or drivers. I actually have it on my phone and my computer. So I have kind of earbud in either ear, listen to what the drivers have to say, time and scoring app so I could actually see the lap time as well, plus the TV coverage. Uh, then if you expand that to what the crew chiefs have, we see here so much about this, quote, SMT data, what the drivers are doing. Well, that's web-based. So our man Sparks had that at home, no different than if he was on the pit box. Um, so he had a lot of information. You know, what what they don't have um, is the sight, sounds, and feel of the racetrack. You know, you, you can't tell, is it cooling off? Is the sun setting? Uh, what's the, the – I know this sounds silly, but you know as a race car driver, you know, each race kind of is like a living, breathing thing. Yeah. And the energy picks up and the energy drops down and oh, you yeah. feel that in person. Hard to feel when you're at home. But those are the things that are lacked. But as far as information, I actually think crew chiefs are better not on the pit box because they're not distracted. You know, I actually think of the perfect place for a crew chief would be up above like an offensive coordinator sitting up in the booth somewhere next to me up in TV land. Because up there, if the race track seems much smaller and the pit decisions much clearer because I'm not down in the middle of it all. That's crazy. You should see my face right now. You can't see me. I can see you on Zoom, but you can't see me back. My face is like, holy moly, because I've never looked at it like that. And that's a great point where, where if you're, you're for offensive coordinator, you can see the ebbs and flows. You can feel the energy of the crowd. Uh, that is an interesting point. We might just start putting sparks up in the, up in the suite every week. Now, we got to make sure that the open bar is shut down because he might have a little too much fun with some hot dogs and beers if we give him a little bit of, a little bit of leeway. Uh, but, man, I, you're one of the most infectious guys I know, and there's a reason why you had a lot of success with Jeff Gordon and, and, and Dale Earnhardt because you're the most positive guy on the radio that I've ever heard. Uh, and, and, granted, we that was our first race, uh, technically, the first, I guess, gauge on what we could really get and see what these Ganassi cars were. And Ryan and I, what we thought with was a good package, I think we had to learn some stuff with the new Chevy bodies. They have a little more nose uh, some more front down for us than what we're used to, so we kind of missed the balance. Uh, but through that whole process, man, you're you were keeping me pepped up and keeping me in the game. Have you always been like that, or do you adjust certain things for certain days for di different guys? You know, I think uh, the advantage I have, if you go back and look, right, I started as Ray Abraham's tire guy. Then I was a mechanic for Robbie Loomis. Um, I was a crew chief that got to work next to Alan Gustafson, Chad Kanaus, Kenny Francis. The, the, the list is very long. So, you know, I was kind of blessed to work with some of the best. And, and I didn't try to be like any of them. Um, some of the best advice I got when I was very young was to just be you. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be the best version of you. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't alter, you know, have enough um, self-awareness to say, you know, I want to be a great crew 
chief. And this 10% of me doesn't really do that. So I need to change the way I am, but I'm a, always been a fast talker, always been a positive guy. Um, I'm the guy that will have the most awkward, uncomfortable conversations to fix them. I think the world would be a way better place if we all just said what we thought. There's a lot of, um, you know, BS that goes around with relationships because people won't talk about it. So I'm just an upfront type guy. And, and, and I learned that I can take my personality, put it on the pit box and I have an advantage. You don't, you know, the old 30 second TV timeout. I can take, I can climb off the pit box. I can walk around. I can get a water. I can, I can stretch my legs. You guys are in this bubble of chaos. Yeah. And even if there's more of the cars around you, you, it's just, it's nonstop, you know, every corner you're trying something new. So perspective is a big thing for me. And I feel it's my role on the radio to uh, bring that perspective of whatever the plan was. And for you and I on Sunday, the plan was clear what we were about. And, and I just, uh, now I don't blow smoke. Like it's not make believe, but when it's time to execute the plan, that's what we tried to do. I only got frustrated one time. I did pretty good. I only lost my stuff one time on Sunday. And when was that? Tell the, tell the listeners when, when that was. You don't, have to, you, don't have to, you don't have to say the car. You don't have to say the car. Yeah, so listen, we know that this is no secret what, what, what Spire's trying to build, right? Well, so the goal is stay on the lead stage one, stay on the lead lap stage two. Well, that comp yellow made for a long green flag run to end stage one. So I'm over there. I got my calculator out. Every lap you go by, I'm like, all right, project out. Man, we're going to be really close. Man, I think we're going to be Man, we're going to be good. And we are passing a car. And you try to avoid him, and this guy comes down and side drafts us for 28 <laughs> and slows us both down a second. And that was it. The wires crossed. I couldn't keep my finger off the button. And I yelled at our spotter to go find the spotter of that card number and ask him if he is trying to get us to both lose a lap or if he has no idea what the plan is here. The leaders are coming, like, quit being like that. Yeah. And uh, then I took a drink of water and said, well, I probably sounded silly. But that was, there you go. You got to see the racer in me come out at that moment. I, I love it. Now, you, you mentioned it. The, there was a plan we were trying to execute on, on Sunday afternoon at Spire, but there is a overall plan we're trying to execute, uh, which was part of the reason why you jumped on board kind of behind the curtain. You obviously came behind and stood on center stage this weekend with, with myself. Like, you're, you're in the limelight. But generally speaking, since December, you've been behind the curtain kind of orchestrating some pieces and parts and people uh, to ultimately get Spire. So I wanted to hear. The, our listeners to hear from you uh, on what your vision for Spire is because they've already heard it, heard it from me. And I think we both collectively are pushing this thing to something really good. Yeah. So TJ Pusher and Jeff Dickerson, the owners, when we sat down and had this conversation, the, 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 I've known them for a long time. They brought me in. They had already put a tremendous amount of work in it. Um, you know, buying charters, buying race teams, buying buildings, buying haulers. Uh, but it got to a point where the questions weren't about, you know, equipment, and things like that, it was specific pointed questions on, you know, well, do we need wind tunnel time or more horsepower or a pit crew? And they realized they wanted some competition advisement. That's where they brought me in. And my first question to them was very pointed. I said, man, what's your goal? And they kind of looked at me and I said, no, I want to know your real goal, your six month goal, your one year goal, your five year goal. Like, what are you doing here? Are you racing or is this a business? And they were very candid and they said, we want to race and it has to be a business. And we think it can be both. And they kind of laid out their vision and I believe in it. And, and it's not a six month plan or a one year plan. This is a long-term plan for Spire to operate at the, at the premier level of stock car racing in the world at NASCAR's cup level. And, and um, 
you know, if you get there too quickly and we've seen it, the list of owners that got there and couldn't maintain it, um, it, it can be a little bit of a house of cards. And, and so we're trying to build a solid foundation. We know that in 2022, there's a completely different race car. So what we're using 2021 for is to build a team, a team of people, a team of procedure, a team of uh, leadership. And my role in all of that is the kind of the top level, right? Uh, I was involved in the shop foreman and the two crew chiefs. That's it. The crew chiefs can hire whoever they want, do whatever they want. And, and my part was trying to prioritize where a team with limited resources spend those resources. And that's really globally kind of my goal and my plan. And once this season's kind of up and running and give me a couple more months, I will quickly look ahead to 22. And I love this personally, Corey, because it helps me stay connected because I, I'm a TV guy first and I want to go up in the booth in June and, and tell the fans what are going on. And this is a great way for me to not really be involved in the day to day, but it's like studying for a test. Every day I'm kind of helping make decisions is every day I am immersing myself in NASCAR. And as an analyst for the sport, I should be immersed in it. That's right. So let's take the Spire hat off, put the TV hat on. So that was a first, essentially the first true test on equipment, on who is where over the offseason. We had Daytona Speedway, Daytona Road Course, but Homestead is the perfect combination of downforce, mechanical grip, horsepower, all the above. What did you see? Who's going to be strong here this year uh, right off the bat? Well, so let's, let's go with the easy one. It's always easy to talk about the winner. Rudy, Rudy Fugel comes on board, teams up with William Byron. I had no doubt that they were going to get along together when you look at what they've done in the truck series. The question was, could Rudy Fugel move to such a huge organization and find his footing? And I say that politely because I just know how many people are trying to help you there, and it can be overwhelming. He proved right away, not only with a win, forget the win for a minute, win or lose, great race car. And, and so that's what we have to see. Let's go one further. Hendrick Motorsports, four cars in the top 14. You have to ask yourself, what has Chad Knauss been doing since he moved up as the director of competition? That seems to have taken the momentum. Remember, the nine's the champion. They are, they are one of the powerhouse teams. But he has been able to carry that forward to a new season. And while everything wasn't perfect, I would give them a pretty high grade for the race one. So I think Hendrick Motorsports is going to be a contender. Um, Joe Gibbs won at the road course. Kind of at times were nowhere to be found in Miami. I thought the 11 would be better. I thought the 18 would be better. Did they lose something or is it just that racetrack? That's a question I want to see in Las Vegas. Very impressed with the Fords. You know, no real flashes out of Kevin Harvick. Just a, what do you call it? A ho-hum top five. That's great when top fives are ho-hum. But you look at some Roush Fenway cars at times with track position ran great. Michael McDowell continues his hot streak. So he's there. I mean, that's kind of where I'm already lining up is, is it looks to me that um, you have – Hendrick perhaps has found some more consistency. They kind of had speed, but looking for some cons consistency. And we will see if Gibbs can find some consistency. I'll tell you, though, Corey, the truth is I've had this conversation with a lot of people. I think this year is going to be the toughest because the schedule gets overlooked. And we can talk about the simple things, but here's the, gl the glaring one. You want my TV hat? Yeah. Here you go. There are 26 races in the regular season. Mm -hmm. There are six road courses. Now there are 20 ovals, two or three of which are super speedways. Now are there 17 standard ovals? Mm -hmm. One of them's dirt. Well, now we're down to 16, quote, standard ovals. Well, in those 16, we're going to go to Pocono a couple times. Mm -hmm. We're going to see, um, you know, racetracks like Homestead, like Miami. I say all that because I don't know what standard is anymore. I don't think there is a standard in NASCAR. I don't think it's if you're good at the high-speed tracks, you'll be fine. 
I, I don't think that's it. I think NASCAR in their quest of changing up the schedule for the fan base is, has made it almost impossible to predict what you need. Like, what do you need? Yeah. What do you need to be good in the regular season? Because, man, there's a lot of variety. Yeah, you got to be balanced. You got to be good road courses. You got to be good speedways everywhere in between. So, who, one last question, Stevie. Who is your all too soon championship pick at the end? Who's, who's raising that trophy in Phoenix? So, I'll give you four names because I don't think anybody can guess who's going to win it of the four. I predict we're going to see Chase Elliott in the four again. Um, I think so. You got one Hendrick driver will make the four, it'll be Chase Elliott. Until someone tells me that Kevin Harvick can't be there, he will be there. I think you're going to have one Gibbs driver. They're going to have to figure out which one it is. I think Kyle Busch is going to be on a mission to try to figure something out, but we're going to have to see some faster faster cars. And the driver I I have in there as well is Joey Logano. And and here's why. I don't think I've seen enough on the racetrack to take those four guys out. Um, And I just think that that until they are outrun consistently – they're going to end up in Phoenix. Now, who's going to win in Phoenix? Who knows? Who has the right stuff seven or eight months from now? It's going to be really hard to tell. Hard to tell. But there you have it. Interim crew chief extraordinaire, Mr. Steve Latart. Thanks for joining us on Stacking Pennies, buddy. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. It was, um, you know, over six years since I had done it. I took Dale Jr.'s advice. I, I absorbed every lap, every sight, every smell. Uh, there's nothing like crew chiefing, but I won't lie. Pretty good view from the TV booth. Can't wait for June to be here. Nashville, back on NBC. It's going to be a blast. That's right. Thanks, buddy. Have a good one. Thanks, man. This is a segment you all have been waiting for, Pit Road Boats and Woes, with my friend Ryan Flores. What are you doing, pal? Hey, just hanging out. What about you? Stacking pennies? We're always stacking pennies. Some, some tall stacks, some short stacks. A little bit short of a stack this week. We blew up. Uh, but the two-car had a decent run. Yeah, they're coming and going like everybody else. It was nice to uh, start the race off pitting there in the lead and, and kind of lead there for a little while. And then we got uh, we got back in the pack, and then we got back forward and then ended up uh, splitting the stage there at the end. It didn't work out for us. Now, why did some guys elect? There was uh, – I don't remember exactly how many laps there were in the last stage, but there were some guys – the winning strategy was to stay out. But some guys, including yourself and Kurt Busch, elected to split the stage. Why do some people heads their bet that's that way versus trying to stay out? I think uh, a lot of it was maybe how your car went. I think we elected to pit because we felt like we fell off a little bit more than most. Um, but, you know, everybody everybody has a lot of technology and everybody's got these simulation programs that kind of tell you uh, what it's going to look like with tire fall off if it's quicker to pit or if it's uh, quicker to, to stay out and, and run along and I think a couple guys, you know, what, what their data was telling them that it would be quicker to split the stage um, and be on pressure tires. But it also depends on when you hit traffic and, and a lot of other things. So is there, we elected the pit and it didn't quite work out for us. Is there more pressure knowing that, like, this is the last stop of the day versus, like, your first or second stop and you're kind of getting, getting a little, you know, you're trying to get loosened up. But when you know that there's that money stop, do you get a little more nervous than, than most? Yeah, it builds. You know, you, you know, you got to be right on the last one. You don't obviously you don't want to win that penalty, and uh, and you know that that your stuff has to be right on that last one. But but really, you can't put yourself behind during any stop. You know, or anytime you pit in the lead, like the like the first stop of the race um, at at Homestead this weekend, we pitted in the lead. And anytime you're pitting in the lead, especially like a co- competition caution there, 
lap 25, you know, everybody's coming to take four and, uh, and the pressure at pitting in the lead in the cup series is high always. So it was nice to do that. And, uh, and then a green flag stop there at the end of the race, it's, it's more of a layup, you know, you just, you don't want to do anything to take yourself out of it at that point. So situational awareness is a, uh, is a very important thing to have once you, uh, once you get a little bit older and you start to figure out the game a little bit more. So, Big story from Saturday, the tire carrier, I believe, on the 18 of Daniel Hemrick's car got hit. Well, what had happened was he must have been – he is the carrier on the 11 for Sunday, and that got to, that got me kind of more paying attention uh, because there used to be Xfinity-specific crews. Now it seems like – now it seems like cup crews are pitting a lot more Xfinity cars than usual. Why is that? Yeah, so – I mean, heck, I've been in the Xfinity race the last two weeks, and we have an Xfinity crew. You know, the, the stakes are high in Xfinity as well. And uh, and just the divide between uh, great cup guys and, and good guys is, is so big that they they cannot use the cup guys anymore. And the good guys, you know, I think most of their pit crews are pitting all three days, truck, Xfinity, and cup. But, yeah, Shipley got hit there. He actually didn't get hit. The tire got hit. But when you're carrying two 80-pound tires, and they're going to launch you once, once they get hit. So he ended up flat on his back, but, but he was good, and they recovered, and they were a, a top-five pit crew on Sunday. How, have you ever gotten hit? I'm sure you got hit multiple times, but what's the most scared you've been on pit road with a car driving by? I've gotten hit, but I've never – you know, in the front, you kind of just end up on the hood. Uh, the tire changer probably out of anybody, especially the way that Gibbs, the Gibbs does their stop where the tire carrier runs out in front of the tire changer, so they're kind of in between the jackman – and the uh, and the changer. So changer in that situation is the last line of defense. So you can kind of bail. The other thing is you're not carrying 160 pounds of pounds of tires. So once you start going, you're pretty committed. Um, but the way Daniel missed the box there, oh, you're you're pretty screwed. And yeah, unfortunately, Shipley got hit. But yeah, I, I've ended up on the hood a couple times. But Harvick Harvick will run you over. Whenever you're pitting next to Harvick and he's say you're running second, he's running fourth. That's the most scared I've ever been every time I've been around him. That's just because if you're pitted in front of somebody to get a better angle pointed out of your box, you're trying to go right off that guy's right front fender. Well, sometimes there's a front changer in between there. So some guys give it a little more consideration. Obviously, Harvick's not one of those guys that do. So what do you just jump over yeah. it or wait or what do you do? Uh, so some guys you realize, like, some guys you're like, I got to take that. You know, like, you, you got to take what's yours. Other guys you realize, like, oh, he ain't going to give it to me, but you can't be late to the front. Like you can't be late to the wheel. So from the time the car stops to the time I'm hitting a lug nut is between one to three tenths. Right. So if you get there at one second, you can't afford to give that time away. So you got to go take it, but you also don't want to get your ankle run over and get your ACL torn. It's a catch 22, but, uh, but yeah, the, the carriers are the ones that are in the most, uh, in the most danger now, the way we do this stop. And a lot of times they just have to stop and wait for the car to go by. Well, actually, a couple of years back, my front tire carrier at the time, Wade Moore, he caved Kurt Busch's fender in. I think Kurt was running third maybe at the time. And uh, it actually took him out of the race. And it was inadvertent. But, um, but yeah, there's definitely games that are played between the drivers and the crews on pit road for sure. So we went from Homestead, Miami this past week. Is there any changes? To Vegas, pit road walls a little bit smaller, a little bit narrower, a little, probably a little easier on the knees. 
Uh, what, are, what are some things you look at going to Vegas? Definitely two tire pit stops. So there will be strategy that comes into play. Um, when you think of Homestead, it's the new Darlington. When the caution comes out, you're coming and taking four. We saw that this weekend. Sometimes we had six, seven laps on the tires in both Xfinity and Cup, and they were coming to get four tires. This weekend in Vegas, we saw the race one last year on two-tire pit strategy and guys staying out um, when other guys pitted there in a late-race caution. So definitely strategy is going to be big, and you cannot take your driver out of it here with these wheels. The center, uh, the center corner wheel load, so the load on the wheels, is so high at Vegas, almost uh, brisk. Crystal Dover esque, so you will see loose wheels this weekend. You got to make sure that you get it right, and uh, and don't take your guy out of the race. And there you heard it from the man himself. Make sure it's not the front tire on one of the on, on the two car this weekend. It's loose. Yeah, now there's not going to be any cautions to get your laps back either. So that's right. Track position is king. And there you have it, Ryan Flores, pit road boats and woes. Thanks for jumping on, buddy. All right, I'll see you boys later. See, see you, buddy. All right, guys, you know what time it is. Time for heads or tails. Um, you know what, Merriman, you bet the house on Kyle Larson last week. How'd that work out for you? It's in foreclosure right now. <laughs> <laughs> the house is in foreclosure. It he didn't go well. Bet, he put two mortgages on that Larson house. Granted, he was strong. He was strong. He wasn't quite strong enough to, to beat our buddy Bill Byron out there. Um, but you know who I put my money on? The old Cheddar's horse. That sucker himself. was on the fence, dude. Now, it took him. The race was 400 miles. It took him 380 miles to work that thing in. Uh, and you couldn't have fit a piece of paper in between that eight car and the fence, dude. That was impressive. It is one of the, you know, modern marvels of, of watching NASCAR is watching him, you know, rip the fence and, and you Without know, just a doubt. not be afraid of it. It. It is amazing because all it takes is one microscopic lapse of, of, of concentration and he's in the fence. Now, he tries to do it at about every other track we go to and it doesn't work anywhere else but Homestead just the, because the way the wall, the radius is, it's like perfect at Homestead. Um, and he – honestly, I, I'll put it like this. He has a gift. Larson has – he has a blessing uh, – Tyler Reddick has a gift of running the wall at Homestead Miami Speedway. Now, he has practice, and he does it, and he's damn good at it. And But that stuff was unbelievable to watch. Uh, so I'm glad I hitched my wagon to that Tyler Reddick course on that over-under. Beat you again. Um, but now we roll into Vegas. A couple new ones. We got our previous winner, Joey Logano versus Bad Brad, his teammate. They still might not be seeing eye to eye after that Daytona incident. So who are you taking this weekend? I think Logano is the obvious answer, but I'm going to uh, go with go with uh, Brad and, and Bullens. I think they're gonna they're gonna outpace the 22. It's this obviously week. it's obviously not that obvious if you're not going with their the obvious answer. <laughs> I mean, Logano's won you know God knows how many Spring Vegas races, so. Uh, I would if say you're he's probably favored, if you're giving it to me, I'm taking Joey. You can have. I'm it. taking the home. I'm taking the home team. Joey's locked in. He's been in the mix for pretty much every race this year. They weren't particularly strong at Homestead, but Vegas, he knows how to get around there. He's got a couple, a uh, couple Vegas trophies on the mantle. 
What you got next? You had, you had one on, on tap. So Austin Dillon versus Chris Busher. Who's going to fare better out in the desert? Well, Busher showed some speed. Actually, Roush overall showed some speed with, uh, you know, the 34 is a satellite Roush team being front row. Uh, and Ryan Newman finished, I don't know, somewhere in the top 10 maybe. Um, 17, once he lost a little bit of track position, wasn't, wasn't quite good. But RCR always shows some speed at those uh, – those hammer down mile and a half. So I'm going to take AD in this in this heads or tails. I'll take Chris Busher. I've said for a long time he's he's been one of my dark horses in the Cup Series in terms of guys I think have a lot of potential. So it was good to see him up there and flat out beat Brad Keselowski to win a stage. Uh, I was impressed. I'll take him in Vegas. Chris Busher ain't no slouch. Xfinity Series champion. Don't sleep on the guy. No, and also don't pick a fight with him either because he's nice. But I have a feeling he's like farm boy strong. He'll he's like beat a, the heck I out mean, of him you. and him and Newman are teammates, but they are teammates in more than ways than one because they are both cornbread fed. They have fairly larger neck than normal, and they throw hay bales around for a hobby. You don't mess that's with a, them guys. That's a hell of a tag team. Yeah, you don't want to get if you're in a if you're in a uh, battle royale. Uh, what, what do they call those, cage matches with Newman and Chris Busher? You're going to have a long night, my friend, long night. Yeah, you're, you're not leaving with straight legs, that's for sure. Ain't happening. Hometown battle, Kurt and Kyle Busch, who you taking? Well, they both suck at Las Vegas, so <laughs> let's put that out there. I'll say Kurt is running a little bit better than Kyle right now. Uh, I'm going to go Kurt over Kyle. Oh, you're taking Kurt, and I hope you're right because I'll have the same somewhat same car as Kurt does. Uh, so I hope that Ganassi car is tuned up and dialed in. I don't know. Kyle, let me just talk about Kyle Busch for a minute. We could talk about Kyle. He is looking awfully mortal as of lately. You rewind two, three years ago, three years ago, and that sucker couldn't lose a race. Now he can't even sniff the top five. What is going on with Kyle Busch over there at Gibbs Race? He is not NASCAR's Allen Iverson. He cannot mispractice. Uh, that was what everybody will, that's what everybody will tell you. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think just sometimes you hit it. Sometimes you don't, you know, I, I can think back of when Jimmy was rattling off championships like crazy and it go through the summer stretch and they wouldn't win anything and they get to the playoffs. And then all of a sudden Jimmy's just him and Chad are knocking them down. So, I mean, look, the broadcast this week was talking about, oh, well, these guys haven't won all year long. Well, we're three races into the season. Let's calm down a little bit. I think Kyle will be okay. I just don't think it's going to turn around at Vegas. Well, and we'll, this is way more of a box of worms than I want to open today on the show because we'll talk about it later. But Kyle Busch, this downforce and low horsepower package does not fit Kyle Busch's uh, driving uh, talent as much as I'm sure it does some others. So we can talk about that another day. The next one, head to tails. What do you got? All right, this is a, a little bit of a gap between these two guys, but it's interesting. Uh, McDowell versus Harvick to continue their top 10 run, uh, streak of top 10 finishes in 2021. So who are you taking? Um, well, I mean, I think everybody's going to be hammering the over on Harvick on that one. Um, but the, the as strong as that 34 was at Homestead this weekend, that shows the work they've been put, putting in the offseason. But I do think uh, anytime we go to a trimmed-out intermediate track, Vegas has a lot of grip. It's got a little bit of bumps. Rodney Tilder is going to have that four Bush Mustang t- tuned up this weekend. He's going to be strong. Might even be in the, the, the conversation for a win. Wouldn't put a bot. Could be. I lost everything last week, as you know, so I have nothing to lose this week. So I'm taking McDowell just so we don't agree. Well, what, what would I'm glad we, we continue to go status quo. Uh, the last one, are we going to go 
with Byron getting his second win before any other HMS team mates get one win? I think the pressure is off, and this is probably not a popular answer, but I'm going to say William Byron doubles up before anybody else at Hendrick wins a race. Whoa, 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 timeout. What basis are you going off of? They have Hang no on. pressure. Hang on. Have you they, looked at the other? They got. They don't have any slouches over there. No, Alex they, Bowman. Look, that, Rick Hendrick. Rick Hendrick has done himself well by having those four guys in those four cars. For sure. I think the pressure's off. I think those guys can be loose. I think they can try some things, and I think just the attitude of knowing that you're more than likely in the playoffs. I mean, granted, the way we're going right now, we could have 36 different winners at the end of the year. Uh, but you know, I think William Byron is is in prime position now. You know, he could win two races and be done for the year. I don't know, but I think uh, I think he's going to win two before the other now, ones win I, one. I know you love hitching your wagon to the wrong horse, so I'm going to hitch it to the right <laughs> horse again. Uh, we're going to go with if you're giving me three guys to one, I'm taking three. Right? We have Vegas this weekend, which plays right into Greg Ives and Alex Bowman's hands. They're always fast at those. Lockdown intermediates, like I keep talking about. And then ne- don't put Kyle Larson out. The guy's just getting warmed up. He's still shaking the dirt off his boots uh, from a sprint car somewhere in Enum Claw, Washington. And he's back r- r- driving these NASCARs. And then, hey, uh, the guy is still polishing the champagne off his trophy, Chase Elliott. We're going to Phoenix next week. And he won the last race there. So odds are. One of those three HMS teammates are going to get the win before Chase uh, William Byron gets his second. And there you have it. There's heads or tails. Let's get on with it. And Chuck and I were getting together last week to figure out what we are going to talk about on this week's Corey Stories. We kicked around a couple ideas. Talked about looking at that wood track at Charlotte, possibly this moonshine past the NASCAR. But where we landed was the fact that we were going to Vegas this week. There's got to be some cool stories about casinos, corruption, bribery, death. You know, all those cool things that would make for a great mobster movie about Las Vegas, the Sin City. So when we started the research, an interesting little footnote popped up. There was a NASCAR race in Las Vegas in 1955 that was shortened due to darkness. That race was won by Norm Nelson. Nelson started on the pole and piloted his Carl Kiekeffer-owned 1955 Mercury to victory leading 106 of the 111 laps. Key Keffer's cars won championships of 1955 and 1956 with Tim Flock and Buck Baker both driving. Nelson's career in the Cup Series only lasted five races across four seasons, with that win serving as his only trip to victory lane at NASCAR's highest level. That alone would be a pretty cool story to talk about. What about the track? The track is what piqued our interest. Las Vegas Park Speedway was a one-mile dirt track that was built to be a horse racing facility yet it held three major auto racing events. In 1954, an American Automobile Association, AAA, I guess, champ car event, the 1955 NASCAR Grand National Race, and a United States Auto Club, or USAC, race in 1959. That race was won by the 1959 USAC stock car champion and future NASCAR Hall of Famer, the golden boy, Fred Lorenzen. Obviously, this track was drawing some of motorsports' top talent to the desert of Las Vegas. But why? Why did it not catch on? In comes Mr. Joseph M. Smoot, who was a fast-talking promoter from New York City that had charm, charisma, and apparently a smoking hot wife half his age. He cut a fine image 
wearing two-tone shoes and had a cane and a straw boater hat. He really looks like the type of guy who'd sell a ketchup popsicle to a lady wearing white gloves in the middle of July. Smoot had a hand in building tracks in Florida and California, but he'd left or had been asked to leave before any of them opened. By 1946, Smoot had already made and lost several fortunes. When he got the idea to head out to Vegas and build a racetrack that would be one of the finest facilities in the country. The only trouble was he didn't have a ride to get from Brooklyn to Vegas. One of his partners, Hank Greenspun, had a car and a little bit of sense of adventure to the two-headed west. Hank wrote his impressions of the desert gambling mecca in a 1966 book. It was September 1946 when Smoot, the Red Buick, and I pulled into town. And although we knew it only vaguely, we were riding over the thin edge between past and future. Las Vegas was still a small town with more dirt roads and sidewalks, replete with swinging door saloons, blanketed Indians, bearded prospectors, and burrows. Yet, on a bare stretch of U.S. Highway 91, a $6 million concrete and steel fantasy was even now rising. The man behind the incomplete building, a smirking, quick-tempered hoodlum named Benjamin, Bugsy Siegel liked to call it the fabulous flamingo. I guess it was love at first sight. During the next couple of weeks, as I took a good look at my new hometown, I liked it more and more. Las Vegas people struck me as richly assorted crew of the freewheeling spirits gathered from the entire country's more prosaic nooks and corners. It was a nesting place and sanctuary for Lamisters who came like Damon Runyon, virgins of the Pilgrim Fathers, looking for elbow room and broadly tolerant freedom. One of those Lamisters, a certain Joe Smoot, was now involving himself in an elaborate promotional maneuver growing more and more secretive in the process. While Smoot set out to gather funding, Greenspan started a little publication called the Las Vegas Sun. Old Joe knew a track wouldn't have a chance, and he said so when he came out here in 1946, wrote Greenspan. Even Ponzi wouldn't give Smoot alone. That's saying something. In a shocking turn of events, delay after delay prevented the track from opening on time, which prompted Smoot to write an apology that was printed in the Sun. Senator Pat McCarran, who served with the inspiration for the role of corrupt Senator Pat Geary in The Godfather II, posed for promotional pictures with Smoot in front of a half-built grandstand. McCarran was accused of taking $8,000 from Smoot in a room at the Thunderbird Hotel on the Strip. So you guessed it, Smoot, along with two of his known associates, were charged with felony embezzlement when much of the money was turning up missing. When questioned about the missing $500,000 in a federal hearing, Smoot couldn't produce receipts or cancel checks. You ever try to pay a politician with a check, he says, which made several in the courtroom chuckle. Probably not the judge, however. Judge Roger Foley removed Smoot and appointed a trustee to run the track. Smoot pleaded not guilty to a grand jury embezzlement indictment. Greenspan wrote, the law had to wait until he was 70 to catch up to him. The Las Vegas Park Speedway, then known as the Las Vegas Jockey Club, finally opened on September 4th, 1953. But the ill-fated track met with more setbacks. The Australian-built tote board and ticket machines malfunctioned. The track had only one entrance and one exit, and fans sat for as much as an hour in traffic to reach the parking lots. Many just gave up and went home, kind of like the first race at Kentucky Speedway. Remember that? Learned it from Las Vegas Jockey Club. Only 8,200 customers made it through the turnstiles for opening day. The crowd shrank with each race. After just three days, the racing board suspended operations for two weeks, mainly to install more efficient American-made equipment. It made little difference. Within a month, attendance had been cut in half. 
It was costing track officials more money to open the doors than to remain shuttered. So the rest of the grand opening showcase was canceled after just 13 days. The track reopened as Las Vegas Park in 1954 for quarter horse racing. But that again lasted only seven weeks before poor attendance forced cancellation of the rest of the schedule. Another effort to recoup their losses saw the board turn to NASCAR to run a race on October 16, 1955. Smoot never saw the Grand National stock cars take to the track. Joe Smoot was found dead on the night of February 14, 1955, on a bed in a free room at the Grand Hotel, 71 years old. He died of uh, natural causes, so no foul play. He spent his final years as a shill in Fremont Street Casino. He was still under indictment. A veteran of the Spanish-American War, his remains were interred at Arlington National Cemetery with full military honors. Smoot's dream 480-acre facility was torn down and the land sold in four large parcels, which today are occupied by the Westgate, the Las Vegas Convention Center, and some of the Las Vegas Country Club. NASCAR Cup Series wouldn't return to Clark County until Mark Martin won at Las Vegas Motor Speedway in 1998. Thanks, man. You guys are awesome, man. We're going to go get them this year. I'd like to cite my sources on this, including a 2009 NASCAR.com article by Mark Allman and Rob Meach's 2008 article in the Las Vegas Sun, both of whom did a great job covering this story. There's a lot of nuggets in there I didn't know. Joe Smoot tried to bring race in Vegas about 50 years before his time. And there you have it. Corey Stories. Time for spare change to close this thing out. What did we learn? We learned that William Byron would rather sock and bop Dave Blaney show his dominance over Aaron Blaney's dad. Questionable decision. We'll see how that pans out for him. Steve Latart is done being an interim crew chief. Now he's about to swing the sticks this weekend. And I get my crew chief back this weekend. Vegas, Ryan Sparks, welcome back. Happy to have you on the box. We learned that Tyler Reddick can rip the fence like no other. We have learned that uh, Merriman is hitching his court, his horse to all the wrong wagons, or the other way around, however you want to look at it. Oh, I'm running a dirt late model, guys, at Bristol here in two weeks. Uh, Austin Dillon called me up. He says, hey, I'm running a car. Guy's got a second one. You want to do it? And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, I don't know what that does or, like, is it fast? Is it good? No, he's like, yeah, it's pretty good. So it'll be a 604 crate. It's not a super late. Um, but I'm just, we're doing that to, for me, to get one dirt race under my schedule, under my belt before the cup race, and two, just to see it. I don't know. I think it'll be fun. I think we're racing on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. So stand by for that. Maybe get a uh, ice cold Coke and some popcorn because that'll be a, definitely a show to watch. I think that's March 15th ish, somewhere around there. So stay tuned for that. My dirt debut. That's a little spare change for you. And we got a built bar on the ride this weekend. So everybody tune in. We're going to Vegas. It's going to be good. Thanks for stacking pennies. Talk to you next week. <laughs>